And now, America's number one show on pop culture and politics. This is the Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth, uh, despite the fact that there has been bad news from the border. There hasn't been a lot of good news from the border recently, has there? Uh, the uh, two of the four U.S. citizens who were violently kidnapped in Mexico during a terrifying caught-on-camera cartel shootout on Friday have been found dead. Uh, two others alive, one of the survivors injured and hospitalized. The officials made the announcement earlier today. One of the surviving Americans uh, was wounded and the other was unharmed. That was the, uh, the information provided by the Tamaulipas governor. Tamaulipas is the state in Mexico where this occurred in the city of Matamoros. There's a uh, governor named Americo Villarreal who uh, informed the world of this situation. Apparently the idea of uh, the kidnapped victims being found was a telegraph to the world because in the middle of a meeting with members of the press, the president of Mexico, uh, AMLO, the um, uh, Obrador, uh, received word from the governor of the state of Tamaulipas, uh, America Villarreal, and he put the call on a speakerphone so the uh, reporters heard it very directly. One person has been arrested, apparently. The foursome who were traveling in Mexico were a group of friends. They were now identified as Latavia Tay McGee, Shaid Woodward, uh, Zindel Brown, and Eric James Williams. They were abducted at gunpoint in broad daylight on March 3rd, shortly after they crossed the border from Texas into the crime-ridden border city at Matamoros, located in the northeastern state of Tamaulipas. The group of friends had traveled to Mexico for a cosmetic medical procedure. It was reported to have been a tummy tuck for a mother of six uh, when they were shot at and forced into the back of a pickup truck, according to relatives. Uh, it was McGee who was scheduled for a tummy tuck surgery on the day of the kidnapping. Her mother, Barbara Burgess, said Monday. The four were reportedly found at a medical clinic in Matamoros, a source told CNN, and one of the two survivors is severely injured. It's a terrible story. The uh, surviving Americans were taken to the border near Brownsville, Texas, in a convoy of Mexican ambulances and SUVs today. This, according to the AP, it was not immediately clear if the bodies of the deceased were also being returned to the U.S. In the chilling footage of the ambush, the unidentified suspects can be seen pushing a woman into the bed of a truck. Uh, two men who appear either wounded or dead are then thrown into the same bed. Is this going to discourage people from traveling to Metamoros? Well, it certainly should. Apparently, the government had... Uh, issued all sorts of warnings to Americans not to go there. This is known to be an area that is dominated by the cartels, that is uh, badly dominated by the cartels, and the cartels are dangerous. Now, again, 
just last week, as people know, because we announced that we did three different broadcasts from Mexico, a very different part of Mexico, and uh, there wasn't uh, a moment during the six days that we were south of the border that we felt unsafe. There were police officers and actually soldiers who were visible. Uh, and, and not that, again, the uh, Mexican law enforcement is the best in the world, but uh, certainly there was no warning and there was no sense of danger when we were there in one of these uh, part of the tourist area of, of Mexico that's been very popular for a lot of Americans. And uh, it's, it's horrible to see that uh, people who are going across the border for a medical procedure. Now, why were they going across the border? Because apparently there was a doctor located in Mexico who was offering tummy tucks at much less money uh, because uh, Mexico has a mostly government-supported uh, health care system. But they were offering this procedure uh, and advertising and advertising that made it into Texas then then obviously made it to South Carolina, which is where these people were from. They could get this procedure uh, much more uh, inexpensively in uh, in Mexico. The uh, um, there's statements about what happened here from a uh, Ned Price, who is a spokesperson for uh, the. Uh, Department uh, of the of State, and uh, here's uh, here's what he had to say. An audio clip from Ned Price. Just ask you to clarify or, or extrapolate a little bit on what you said about the Mexico. So you're saying that yes, you have now been able to confirm that two of the four were killed. That's correct. And that the other. And, and that the other two are now back in the U.S., the, the two survivors. The two survivors uh, have since been repatriated back to the United States. Uh, that occurred with the assistance uh, of our Mexican partner, partners, with the assistance uh, of our officials uh, in Mexico. Uh, we are in the process of working to repatriate the remains uh, of the two Americans who were killed in this incident. Okay, so, they, so the, the, those bodies are not, are not uh, back. In not the, yet. And... and I understand that the investigation is still early, but do you have any reason to believe that they were targeted? Matt, just as you said, the investigation is in its earliest days. Uh, I understand we uh, may have more to share from the FBI uh, at the appropriate time, but uh, from the Department of State, it's important for us not to impinge on investigative equities. Uh, especially in an investigation like this that implicates uh, the kidnapping of four Americans, the death uh, of two Americans, uh, and two Americans who survived uh, what, by all accounts, uh, must have been a traumatic and harrowing experience. Yeah, traumatic and harrowing indeed. Uh, this goes along with uh, news from Reuters uh, from a couple of months ago, but they say the number of people officially listed as disappeared in Mexico. Now, most of the people who have disappeared in Mexico are Mexican, but that number has risen to more than 100,000 uh, government data uh, show uh, on Monday uh, as family groups called on authorities to do more to find victims of violence linked to organized crime. The Interior Ministry's National Registry of Missing People 
dates back to 1964 and is updated periodically over the past two years. It has risen from about 73,000 people to more than 100,000 people, most of them uh, men. Obviously, this was a group of friends who were both male and female. Uh, Lindsey Graham had this to say about a planned response to what has just happened. Uh, this is clip 30. Well, I would follow Bill Barr's advice and get tough on Mexico. It's not just the hostages. Number one, I'd do everything I could to get them back. I'd do what Trump did. I'd put Mexico on, not Mexico, on, Mexico on notice. If you continue to give safe haven to fentanyl drug dealers, then you're an enemy of the United States. Seventy to 100,000 people have died from fentanyl poisoning coming from Mexico and China, and this administration has done nothing about it. So Bill Barr's idea about... I'm going to introduce legislation, Jesse, to make uh, certain Mexican drug cartels, foreign terrorist organizations under U.S. law and set the stage to use military force if necessary to protect America from being poisoned by things coming out of Mexico. So what would Lindsey Graham do? I would tell Mexican government, if you don't clean up your act, we're going to clean it up for you. Okay, that's a little bit easier said than done. Uh, we will get back to this, also to the huge debate, which is now festering. It is going on. It's explosive, frankly, about what really happened on January 6th. Why are we back to that? Well, because of the broadcast. Michael Medved show the difficulty with what Lindsey Graham is talking about is that uh, basically if we want greater security at the border and for whatever reasons the uh, new changes made by Joe Biden appear to have reduced the flow of illegal entrance into the United States fairly dramatically but it's only recent I mean during the first uh, two years of Biden's presidency the um, the border situation was terrible, as it has been terrible for years and years and years, and there are no easy answers to it. The only answers that are even vaguely possible involve cooperation with the Mexican government. And yes, it's not ideal that we have right now a very left-wing Mexican government and one that appears ready to challenge some of the democratic principles uh, that Mexico has operated under and some of the improvements that have been made in Mexico recently. The, the current government, the current president, uh, Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador, known as AMLO for short, is a, um, a perennial left-wing radical in Mexican party terms, and he's very popular, and he's talking about basically breaking the or changing the Constitution, which had limited all Mexican presidents to one six-year terms. They have uh, uh, the ultimate term limits for the presidency. And um, if he does decide or is trying to push a change that would allow him to continue as president, this would be considered a a uh, drift back to the much less responsive and democratic 
country that uh, Mexico had become. The um, uh, Bill Barr writes in the Wall Street Journal, uh, the U.S. must defeat Mexico's drug cartels. And of course, he's right. He writes that the narco-terrorists are more like ISIS than the American mafia. America can no longer tolerate narco-terrorist cartels operating from havens in Mexico. Their production of deadly drugs on an industrial scale is flooding our country with this poison. Uh, the time is long past to deal with this outrage decisively. Representatives Dan Crenshaw, Republican Texas, and Michael Waltz, Republican Florida, have proposed a joint resolution giving the president authority to use the U.S. military against these cartels in Mexico. This is a necessary step and puts the focus where it must be. Overdose deaths every year, more than 100,000, exceed the number of Americans killed in action during the bloodiest one year of World War II. And he writes that Mexican cartels have flourished because Mexican administrations haven't been willing to take them on. The exception was President Felipe Calderon, uh, 2006 to 2012, who wanted to go full bore against the cartels, but American priorities were elsewhere at the time. Today, the cartel's chief enabler is President Andres Manuel López Obrador, known as AMLO. When he came to power at the end of 2018, he announced the switch to a policy of hugs, not bullets and shut down counter-narcotics cooperation with the U.S. Under strong pressure from President Trump, Attorney General Barr writes, he occasionally engaged in a high-profile operation to create the illusion of cooperation, but these were smokescreens. In reality, AMLO is unwilling to take action that would seriously challenge the cartels. He shields them by consistently invoking Mexico's sovereignty to block the U.S. from taking effective action. This posture should anger Americans. Under international law, government has a duty to ensure that lawless groups don't use its territory to carry out predations against its neighbors. If a government is unwilling or unable to do so, then the country being harmed has the right to take direct action to eliminate the threat with or without the host country's approval. And he concludes this way. He says, look, the cartels of Mexico in a python-like stranglehold. American leadership is needed to help Mexico break free. We can't accept a failed narco state on our border, providing sanctuary to narco terrorist groups preying on the American people. And uh, of course, what he doesn't get into is what the consequences would be if we took um, military action on foreign soil without the approval and cooperation of uh, the government of that country. And clearly this needs attention. And uh, it, it goes along with the whole question of border security and trying to stop the human trafficking, the smuggling, and to bust the uh, evil coyotes, so-called, the people who are actually the human traffickers who help to uh, exploit and uh, and and basically take advantage in, in every way of people who are trying to get across the border, uh, often by raping them and abusing them if they happen to be female, or taking a great deal of money to try to get them across the border illegally. This entire thing needs to be cleaned up and it needs attention. And uh, the fact that uh, Attorney General Barr is writing about this 
uh, and that even during the time he was attorney general, we made very little progress. Uh, that is uh, just part of uh, the disaster here. The sister and mother of one of the Americans who originally went missing in Mexico spoke to the media. This was before uh, the country, the world, learned that two of the Americans had died and one was injured. Only one survived uh, without injury. Uh, this is uh, what uh, that uh, family of uh, one of the missing Americans uh, had to say, clip nine. I felt a little uneasy because I told him I had a dream. You know, I said, so I'm just checking on you. That's what I told him Thursday. And then, like I said, Friday morning, I texted and I didn't get anything. The waiting is the worst part. Uh, it has its advantages and disadvantages. But however, no news is good news. That's the way I'm staying with it. No news is good news. Well, it, not much in the way of good news. Uh, not, not right now. The uh, Matt Gates in uh, the floor of Congress, the uh, Republican from Florida, very outspoken Republican from Florida, he gave one of the most impassioned and unhinged uh, speeches at CPAC. But Matt Gates said Mexico has become a captive narco state with compromised leaders, but even corrupt Mexican officials don't enrich the cartels as much as President Biden does. Uh-huh. We will continue to see the cartels and thugs emboldened as Biden projects weakness. And look, the, the problem of Biden projecting weakness uh, also involves uh, the current debate about Ukraine. There's actually a, a terrific interview with one of America's most distinguished and respected generals who talks about what Biden could have done and could even do now to help Ukraine actually win this war. We will get to that and more coming up on The Medved Show. Your outlet for outrage. Outrageous. The Michael Medved Show. And on the Michael Medved show, uh, Ukraine is clearly going to be one of the key issues as the presidential election develops, particularly within the Republican primary struggle. And it's why when a conservative columnist uh, like Mark Thiessen, who's been fairly supportive of President Trump in the past, and uh, he was a, an aide to uh, George W. Bush uh, and a principal speechwriter for George W. Bush. He uh, basically has done a column based on a, a, an interview that he did, a lengthy interview with General Jack Keane. And as he puts it, retired four-star General Jack Keane knows how to win wars. He is a former vice chief of staff of the Army. He is the intellectual author of the 2007 surge strategy that turned around the war in Iraq and basically saved uh, the outcome of that war. His um, 
uh, uh, Mark Thiessen is with the American Enterprise Institute, and together with another fellow American Enterprise Institute, Danielle Pletka, they interviewed Jack Keane uh, about a victory in Ukraine. And they said, uh, you say victory is achievable in Ukraine, defined as driving Russia out of all the territory it is unlawfully seized, including Crimea. How? And Keene says Russia's conventional ground forces ability to conduct combined armed attack, that means a maneuver, artillery and support and air support all can coordinated, they just can't do it. The elements of their conventional ground forces have all either sustained high casualties or they've literally been defeated. The Ukrainians, through the use of uh, HIMARS, high-mobility artillery rocket systems, have been able to deplete, not extinguish, but deplete these forces significantly. So we assess that while the Russians will make some tactical gains, they will, in a matter of weeks, culminate their offensive. That will allow the Ukrainians to conduct an offensive operation that will likely begin sometime around May or June. They would have liked to have started that offensive a number of weeks ago, but they couldn't do that because they didn't have tanks. They didn't have enough armored vehicles. They didn't have enough mobility to do that, and yet the Russians were very, very vulnerable to that kind of exploitation. So we do calculate that if the Ukrainians are able to continue this offensive and we get the proper weapons to them over time, yes, they can penetrate and go through the Zaporozhnya Oblast, go down on an axis dealing with the Meliotopol and get to the southern coast. But more significantly, they can sever the east-west main supply route that is the land bridge to Crimea. And then they can bring forward long-range missiles and rockets to begin to pummel the Russian bases in Crimea, the military bases and depots that are providing significant support to the Russians. And then eventually they can also use ground maneuver combined arms to be able to move into Crimea. And the point that uh, General Keene makes, and it's such an important point, is that the uh, one thing that uh, basically you will never hear the Biden administration acknowledge is that they predicted that the invasion was coming. They predicted it again and again and again and again and for weeks. And they had reasonably good intelligence after all they could see uh, because they knew that there were hundreds of thousands of Russian troops that were assembling at the border of Ukraine preparing for an invasion – but they didn't do anything in terms of arming Ukraine or making it clear that there would be military consequences. The only thing that uh, Biden did was talk, and very vaguely, about economic sanctions. And the military sanctions uh, would have been much more meaningful. Uh, General Keene says the United States is a master at how to conduct armed, combined arms, a conventional warfare. We can put together a plan and a strategy on how to succeed against the Russians and the Ukrainians. My God, they are so coachable. They are quick learners. They are fierce fighters. They have all the elements that are necessary to succeed. They just need a strategy that we can help them put together with the right equipment to do that, and we can roll these Russians up. I am absolutely convinced of it. But there doesn't appear to be a stomach for it from this administration.
for the life of me, he says, I don't understand why we would permit Russia, who has obviously a nuclear arsenal and they're threatening the potential use of nuclear weapons, to let that be a veto for our use of conventional weapons to support the Ukrainians' fight to free their people. I think the alarm bells, that signals to China, who also has nuclear weapons, to Iran, who is in pursuit of them, and even to North Korea, who has nuclear weapons and is a belligerent power who wants to flaunt these weapons, we are sending all these powers absolutely the wrong signal. And General Keene says, when I look at the Russian generals, I just instinctively know that they're not going to make any recommendation to Putin to use tactical nuclear weapons inside Ukraine. They know full well that they can't protect their own forces from the hazards of a nuclear tactical weapon going off there. This is not the Soviet Union army. This is a Russian army that hasn't trained for that and doesn't have the protection for it. It makes no sense to have that continuing to be U.S. policy. I think that if we had given the Ukrainians much of what we are giving now, it is possible we could have deterred Putin. Think about the, the monumental mistake that, that is involved there. Uh, we spent eight years of the Obama administration tolerating Putin's annexing Crimea and moving into the eastern part of Ukraine, declaring a red line in Syria over the use of chemical weapons and then doing nothing about it doing nothing about the situation in Ukraine. And then the Biden administration comes in and Putin puts 70,000 troops on the border. And he did that for what reason? He wanted to see Biden's reaction. And Biden stops the shipment of U.S. arms to Ukraine. And what message does Putin get from that? And then you add to that the incredible unconditional surrender of Afghanistan. And I think you put all that together and yes, Yes, they come to the conclusion that the United States is a declining power. It doesn't have the same political will and spine to stand up to adversaries. And uh, then they ask one more crucial question, and, and we're going to post this interview at our website at uh, michaelmedved.com because it's very important. They ask uh, General Keene, what do you say to critics who say we're spending too much on Ukraine? $100 billion, yes, that is a significant amount of money, but it's a small part of a roughly $6 trillion budget. What a return on investment of $100 billion we're getting for stopping Russian aggression. If we are able to succeed in that, that will literally make President Xi think twice before likely going into Taiwan. When he sees that American geopolitical stand taken in concert with allies, it will send a huge message. I think Iran will get the same message. Okay, and then uh, last, last one. Some Americans, they ask, on the right, say Biden cares more about Ukraine's borders than our own. Some of these arguments are significantly irrational, says General Keene. For example, we shouldn't fund the war in Ukraine when we have such a problem on our border. Does anybody believe if we pull the funding for the war in Ukraine today and said we're not going to do it anymore, that the Biden administration is going to suddenly solve the problem on the southern border, that they're finally going to enforce the laws, that they're finally going to change the policy, and that they're going to have a coherent policy to stop fentanyl and deal with the cartels? We have seen the DNA of this administration, and these are things that are not mutually exclusive. In other words, yes, we can support Ukraine and stop aggression and protect liberty and also work hard at the same time 
to secure the southern border, at least to the extent beyond that we have done so far. We will be right back on The Medved Show. Your outlet for outrage. It's outrageous what's going on out here. It's the Michael Medved Show. It's a tremendous, tremendous thing, and I'm telling you, it's going to explode. The Michael Medved Show. Medved show, uh, there's a brand new debate that has opened up because of some 40,000 hours of uh, videotape and uh, that was turned over uh, to uh, cable TV and uh, then excerpts of that videotape played and with the conclusion that actually there was no insurrection, there was no riot. Uh, there was just a bunch of meek and mild, and yes, both those terms, meek and mild, uh, sightseers who went into the Capitol building. And the this is a very, very hot debate in the country right now. Actually, a leading conservative Republican, uh, GOP Senator Tom Tillis of North Carolina, told uh, CNN uh, just a couple of hours ago, he said, I think it's bull beep. Uh, that's what he said about the portrayal of the attack as being not an attack, but just uh, a lot of peaceful people who were marching around and um, uh, basically letting their views be known. I mean, the one thing that, that people have said is the left did the same kind of stupid lies, but again, concerning... All of the riots, and some of them very deadly riots, bloody riots, burning down buildings, burning down police stations, taking over parts of whole cities, very violent attacks. That was all supposed to be peaceful protest after George Floyd, and these were all peaceful protesters exercising in their rights. No, they weren't. They were thugs. They were creeps. They were rioters. And... There's so many hundreds of thousands of them and riots across the country. It's uh, sort of difficult to uh, prosecute them all, though some have been prosecuted. I mean, and it was outrageous what was going on there, but it was outrageous what was going on in the Capitol. And the idea of trying to whitewash it, Tom Tillis, again, conservative Republican of North Carolina, says, I think it's bull beep. Uh, I just don't think it's helpful, but I do think it's important to point out that that's happened on both ends of the political spectrum, and they're both wrong. And yes, what is the the idea that when you obviously have destruction of property, and this is destruction of federal property, it's a, a great deal of vandalism, of breaking windows and shattering things, and yes, uh, defecating on on sacred ground of our American democracy. And of course you can find uh, little excerpts of a film showing people sort of wandering around and, and looking, oh, look at that, boy, oh, here we are. What The question is, what was the purpose of gathering at the Capitol building and then overcoming police lines? And you've seen some of the other film. They had that four-hour special on HBO 
And you can say, well, they didn't show the peaceful stuff. They just showed the violent stuff. Okay, uh, there may have been plenty of peaceful stuff. And there of the many thousands of people who are in Washington to protest on Stop the Steal Day on January 6th, one can acknowledge that the overwhelming majority of the people who were there were peaceful. But that's not the thousand people who have been arrested and charged, the 400 people who have already pleaded guilty or have been convicted or have been sentenced. Uh, there were people there who were carrying Confederate flags and who were using uh, flagpoles for Confederate flags and American flags to jab at police. No one has questioned for a moment the figure of 140 police officers who were injured, and some of them seriously. So what is the point of trying to say that the entire event was meek and mild and that people were wrongly attacked for doing it? We have a legal system. I believe in the legal system. I think it's working regarding some of the rioters. And you don't have to use the term insurrection, but uh, there have now been a number of people from groups like Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers who have pleaded guilty or been convicted for conspiring uh, to uh, as part of an insurrection. And those are serious charges. Another Republican, Kevin Kramer, who is from North Dakota... And again, solidly conservative, also told CNN, I think that breaking through glass windows and doors to get into the United States Capitol against the orders of police is a crime. I think particularly when you come into the chambers, when you start opening the members' desks, when you stand up on their balcony to somehow put that in the same category as a permitted peaceful protest is just a lie. And I, clearly it is. And very obviously it is. And it's unnecessary. But there's another aspect to this. Uh, I, I know that during the hearings for January 6th, the hearings in which uh, uh, Benny Thompson of Mississippi, the chairman of the committee and the vice chairman of the committee, who was Lynn Cheney, who was then a member of the U.S. Congress from uh, Wyoming, that... Uh, that those hearings, people complained about it. They said, "Look, this is actually years ago. It's uh, we're talking about January six, two thousand and twenty-one, and we're now in two thousand and twenty-three. Let it go already." Well, what about this? You have a legal system that is working. Uh, you have people who have acknowledged that this was a dark day in the republic. To now come forward to try to stir this controversy again, do you think this helps Trump? 1-800-955-1776. Of course it doesn't. The more we talk about this, and it's one of the reasons that I do believe that President Trump, if he is the Republican nominee, will almost certainly lose because the American people do not want to go over the argument about the election of 2020 again. They also don't want to go over the election, argument of the election of 2022 in Arizona again, which is why it is so shocking to read today about apparently uh, they have a, a, a listing in Hotline 
of uh, President Trump's short list uh, to select a running mate. And no, uh, Ron DeSantis is not on that list. Uh, what it says is it says that uh, President Trump is strongly considering picking a female running mate, and he sees the most promising candidate as 2022 Arizona governor nominee Rick Carrie Lake as a, a model of his vice presidential pick. Trump knows he has massive weakness with the white suburban women he would need to beat President Biden, though Carrie Lake is a supporter of the former president and his election lies. Some in Trump's orbit worry that her own political ambitions would draw too much attention. Trump is looking for someone similar to former Vice President Mike Pence, with whom he's no longer on speaking terms. Uh, Trump allies have also mentioned former U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley. I think that with uh, her getting booed, at least for part of her speech at CPAC, and not doing particularly well there, I think her stock has gone down as vice president. They've also started talking about Arkansas Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders, who certainly gets along with Trump, and South Dakota Governor Kristi Noem, who is also still considering, apparently, a race for president on her own. But uh, the idea that uh, you want people to start talking about a future and a future campaign, and yet let's go back and debate whether this was a peaceful protest and a legitimate protest on January 6th or whether it was a disgrace for the United States. Now, almost everybody has seen some of the video on both sides. You've seen some of the video that shows people just walking around and, and uh, wandering through the halls and some carrying Trump flags or Trump banners and some of them carrying Confederate flags or U.S. flags. And they're all there, and some of them look perfectly peaceful, and some of them look like they're not even attacking police officers who aren't trying to stop them. The police officers didn't try to stop them, and, and the Capitol Police have all said this because they were grossly outnumbered inside the building, and they were basically trying to keep more people from getting into the building unauthorized. But the idea that we are going to now engage in continued conversation about what happened in that election and what happened on January 6th, this helps no one. It certainly doesn't help the Republican cause or President Trump. Uh, coming up, we will be continuing the conversation, including what is going on in the Middle East, the latest from Israel to this greatest nation on God's green earth. For the getaway of your dreams, come to Hawaii's Playground.